Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Handed So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked, where we are transforming Tuesdays spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and physically. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and today we have Dr. Sarissa Huging and Pastor Tracy Huging. They will be my co-hosts for the month of July, so I definitely want to say welcome. Dr. Sarissa Huging is a doctor of nursing practice in psychiatric mental health nurse and a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. Tracy Huji is the pastor of Grace Place Ministries and the president of Grace Alive Nonprofit that focuses on you. So let's get unpacked. So Dr. Huji, I want to welcome you and Pastor Tracy to the show, but I want to start off with allowing you the opportunity to tell everyone a little about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Tyra, for this opportunity. Um, I know I speak for both of us when I say we're super excited for the honor and the privilege to share this space with you tonight. And just to tell you a little bit about me, you already said that I'm a doctor of nursing practice and that I am a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner. But basically what that means is that I prescribe and diagnose, well, I diagnose and prescribe medication for mental illness and psychiatric disorders across the lifespan. I'm also the founder and CEO of MySpace Mental Health Education and Consulting, where we provide mental health education um, to organizations. We partner with community organizations to help them um, better meet the mental health needs of the people that they serve. And I'm also a mom. Um, in addition to being a wife, I'm a mom of 15-month-old twins, so um, my life is super exciting and busy, of course. Definitely, definitely. Pastor Tracy, I want to give you an opportunity to, to tell us a little more about yourself. So, as you said before, I'm Pastor Grace Place Ministries here in Hollywood, South Carolina, uh, right outside of Charleston. It's in Charleston County. And also direct Grace Alive nonprofit, and our focus is on youth, youth entrepreneurship, and also uh, job skills training. And I'm excited to be here with you, where the Lord has you in this season. It's very mm-hmm. exciting to see that unfold, and uh, we appreciate the great work that you're doing. What's the Lord? Bless so thank the you Lord. for having. Definitely, definitely. Well, y'all, hey, as we say on the show, let's get unpacked. So we're talking about understanding the dynamics of race-based trauma. Now, when we've had some, you know, offline conversations, I mean, I've never heard of 
race-based trauma. Um, and I just think it's so fitting. I love how God has put this thing together because Sarissa just made me aware last night that this month is Minority Mental Health Month. Um, that's something that I've never heard of as well. So um, really excited about the topics that we have coming for the month of July. And so, um, Dr. Hughie, if you would, begin to explain to us what, what is race-based trauma. Absolutely, Kiki. Um, and race-based trauma, and I want to give you a formal definition. Um, according to the Mental Health Association of America, it's simply put a mental and emotional injury caused by encounters with racial bias and ethnic discrimination, racism, and hate crimes. And, of course, um, because individuals experience race-based trauma, there's a wide variety of mental health implications um, that come into play when we talk about race-based trauma. Um, Really, this is an emerging topic. It's now a hot topic um, that many people are talking about, and it's really just now kind of being recognized in terms of, like, the psychological and the mental health impact of systemic racism. Wow. So then, hmm, okay, so it's, it's, it's a newer topic. So then let, let me ask you this, Dr. Huji. Um, what are, well, I know you gave the definition, um, but if you could um, expound a little bit on what are the contributing factors Sure, Tyra. I'll be happy to do that. Um, When we talk about contributing factors, I think it's very interesting because you really can see the compounding effect um, that individuals or persons of color experience as it relates to systemic racism. So when we talk about those factors, the first thing would be a direct encounter of racism, right, Um, either witnessing it or in person. So, for example, if you go into a store and you're discriminated against, Um, because you're a person of color or you're called a name, just kind of that direct act of racism that you may experience as a person of color. But then another layer of that is the systemic aspect, right? Um, So we know that there are um, unjust laws and systemic things or systems that are in place um, that create disparities for people of color. And so that's one form of trauma as well. And when when we think about Um, people of color largely being low-income and those low-income communities that may be um, subject to food deserts or um, liquor stores or loan sharking um, that's more common in certain parts um, or certain regions where people of color live, that's another layer of racial trauma. Um, That's systemic. And then when we think about another, yet another layer, vicarious racial traumatic stressors, and that's um, the best example I can give of that is the police brutality that we witness in the media and how that certainly is triggering for some people and upsetting for for many of us and to the point where some of us choose not to even watch those things because you are now hearing about or watching a video of a racist act. Um, And then last but not least, microaggressions, and microaggressions are what well-meaning people say, um, well-meaning typically white people say to people of certain ethnic groups, um, 
I can remember a time where I was at a function and the individuals at the table were trying to figure out what country I was from. Um, and I, you know, kind of explained to them that I was from South Carolina. Um, so it's not an overt act of racism necessarily, or if you are a person of color and you speak well, then certain individuals might be surprised and they say, you speak well for a black person or um, for right. a Mexican person. So those microaggressions are really sometimes what people consider to be complimentary um, or compliments to you, but they can really be considered offensive as well. Um, and they, you know, kind of hit below the gut. They're not direct, but just kind of under that surface. Um, and so those are some of the contributing factors mm-hmm. of racial trauma. And really the, the compounding effect of those things can certainly impact a person's psychological well-being. Definitely. Um, I'm glad that you broke down the um, microaggressions because I would always call those compassults. A compliment and an mm. insult all in the same. That was just my little word that I always wow. made up. <laughs> you know, yeah, and that, that's how I refer to them. Um, because I know when I created um, my invention, the Jesus button, man, some of the, the feedback, I remember going, sitting down, talking with this gentleman, you know, and I never told him that I was the owner of the business. I'm talking to him, you know, about housing, you know, the product as it comes in. And um, just his questions alone, you know, oh, well, you're, you're not from here, are you? You're not from South Carolina, are you? Yes, I am, you know. And then he goes into, oh, well, what? What school district did you go to? <laughs> district one. Oh, well, I graduated from AC floor. I mean, what what school did you go to? You know, it was just the whole dialogue that I knew without him saying, but I knew what he was saying. You know, um, mm-hmm. and so you know that's why I definitely call it a a consult. You, you're trying to compliment me, but then you're insulting me all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, and, and then to go a little further on what you were speaking about. Um, with the police brutality that we deal with. I know there is a time, and I'm still like this now, to where a lot of times I'm just like, don't tell me anything about, you know, you know, I briefly may hear something happens. Or there has been, I would say, after Ajani was murdered, probably within um, that six-month window or whatever, I, would, I, had to, I had to come off of social media. Um, specifically Facebook, because every time that there was another murder, it would just, you know, it's, it's all over, you know, you had so much dialogue and I just, I couldn't take it. And so to get to a place to where I could begin to try to function again, I had to shut it down, you know, um, you know, I, I really did, you know, um, that was the only thing that began to start you know, where I was able to start functioning, you know, in a different light, um, along with going to therapy. But, you know, I definitely, I just couldn't take it anymore, you know. And I think a lot of times, I mean, I know we have to know what's going on. And, and because of now you have the cell phones that people are always recording, now the things that have been going on for so long, they're placed out there in, in, in the light, you know, to where you can't help mm-hmm. but see it or hear about it. Um but I don't think a lot of times that people realize just how bad that they are traumatizing their own selves every time you watch it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, 
So um, I want to ask you, um, well, you know what? Let me shift for a second. I want to ask um, Pastor Tracy. So, you know, as we're listening to everything that Dr. Hughie has shared thus far, um, how do we address this from a spiritual perspective, Pastor Tracy? Well, the way we address it from a spiritual perspective, you know, and it's interesting that we would say uh, that this is a new topic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a new topic because we are at the place where it's being recognized. Mm-hmm. But from a from a Christian standpoint or from a spiritual standpoint, it, it's really not a new topic mm-hmm. because. Right. If we look at the instance, if we look at an instance in the scripture where a woman is asking Jesus to heal her daughter of a demon possession, and Jesus says, "It's not right for me to give the children bread to a dog," understanding that Jewish people and the Samaritans weren't on the same, I guess, uh, social status so to speak. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is, is, is basically calling this woman a dog. But she advocates for herself, and she advocates for her right to be served. Mm-hmm. She says, well, even the dogs eat the crumbs from the master's table. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jesus had to recognize that and says, go on home. When you get there, your daughter's going to be okay. So from a spiritual standpoint, when we recognize that, and, and it's, it's interesting how we take the perspective that if we are believers, if we're Christians, if we're people, if we're spiritual people, we're supposed to sit back and let people kick our teeth in. Now, I have always taught my son to be respectful to everyone, mm-hmm. but do not fear law enforcement. Whatever comes about it, make sure that you have done everything in your power to be respectful. But do not respond out of fear. You advocate for yourself no matter what. So from a spiritual standpoint, we are not to stand back and just let people kick our faces in. And unfortunately, when it comes to dealing with our counterparts, we have this tendency to not want to ruffle feathers. You're sitting there, and someone's giving you, to use your word, a compliment, and you don't say anything. The unfortunate thing about compliment is that they many times don't even recognize. They have no clue what they're doing. And until we pull their coattails lovingly and respectfully, they will never know. Right, right. And I think sometimes um, there are some cases where, you know, as it relates to microaggressions, that it's obvious and you can tell what's happening, and then there's other times that you don't realize until later on. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think those times when we do recognize that it is important for us to address it um, and and make sure that we are advocating for ourselves, certainly. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I want to back up to something that you said, Pastor Tracy. Um, and I know you were saying that you were telling your son, you know, um, not to 
fear, um, you know, and, and I get it with advocating for yourself. But what I also, um, and, and this is one of the things that we were trained um, because I was military police. Um, Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the response that people are going to have, fight, flight, freeze, you know. So yeah. sometimes you may, you know, even though you're told that and you're told what to do, your response may be different. You know, you can't, you really can't control. You can be told this, you can be taught this all you want. But when the rubber meets the road, you won't know how you respond until that happens. And so... Mm-hmm. I can even say that from the standpoint of being military police. I got pulled over um, probably about six months ago, and I was on the phone with a friend of mine. And you would have thought that I had never had any training because instantly my mind went to, I'm like, you know, you're thinking about everything that you've seen on TV, even my own experience with my child being murdered by the police. So, Instantly, I'm like, right. oh, my God, what do I do? And this is what I'm literally saying. Um, and D'Angelo can vouch for it because that's who I was talking to. And, you know, I'm like, do I put my hands on the store? I mean, I'm literally asking him what to do, and I know what to do. You know, but it's that because of seeing things, because of hearing things, that, that trauma is there and it's real. And, it, and it, it's like mm-hmm. it rewires your brain. You know, mm-hmm. you know what to do, but your response, you know, my response is now different than what it used to be. You know, um, mm-hmm. the conversation that I have to have, like, as I was mentioned on one of the shows before, I'm talking to my son on the phone and he's getting pulled over by the police, you know, and I'm, you know, talking, you know, talking him through. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a different day and time, you know, mm-hmm. but, but you know, John, this, the thing about it is skill comes from practice. And when we deal with our counterparts, when we go through life acting like we don't belong mm. and that every, every situation that we experience is a situation of allowance mm-hmm. versus a divine and citizen right, then when situations like that arise, we default to the position of allowance and not right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And so when we we, we practice standing face-to-face with someone that doesn't look like us, and have a woman-to-woman, a man-to-man conversation as if we belong, mm-hmm. as if we're equal, as if we're equal right. and deserving, then when these situations come up, it is less likely, even though the trauma is there, it is less mm-hmm. likely we will respond from a position of allowance. Whatever you allow me to do, that's what I, that's what I would do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You know. Wow. You guys, we have, um, it looks like two callers. Let me let me check and see if they have something here. Hold, give me one second here. Caller, last four digits, 6867. Do you have a question? 6867, do you have a question? 
Okay, we're going to go to the next one. Caller 8227. Do you have a question? 8227? Question or comment? Okay. All right, well, we will continue. Um, okay. I mean, it's, those are some very valid points um, that you brought mm-hmm. up, uh, Pastor Tracy, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So, so I have another question here. Um, how long has this particular, well, you said it, this, this particular diagnosis been recognized in a mental health community? Mm-hmm. Well, quite honestly, um, it's, as we stated earlier, a very new thing. Um, in fact, the DSM-5, which is the, Diagnostic manual that we use to um, diagnose mental disorders really does not consider racial trauma as a form of trauma unless it is a near-death experience. Um, wow. And that's interesting because the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Association of America, they recognize race, racial trauma as a form of trauma, but it's not something that is specifically categorized in the DSM-5, so, um, but oftentimes when people are dealing with the, the mental and emotional distress, it looks a lot like PTSD. And so that's usually kind of the default diagnosis um, and, and, or depression or anxiety. So, and, and it's funny you went, you went ahead and said about the DSM because I, I was going to ask you about that. Um, so you mean to tell me that it is not recognized until it is a near-death experience? Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, because when we look at the DSM-5 and their definition of trauma, um, it's an event that requires actual or threatened death, death serious injury, or sexual violence. Um, So, you know, things like a car accident, you know, obviously sexual assault is considered um, a form of trauma, um, or if, you know, someone was in a, you know, plane crash, all of those things because that's near or threatened death, and that's either witnessing it, obviously, or experiencing it. Wow. So then, Dr. Hughie, can you tell me what what will it take in order to get this um, recognized as an actual um, diagnosis and to have this um, placed into into the into the DSM. I mean, they would have to redo the criteria. Um, the DSM five. This is the fifth version of the manual. Um, mm-hmm. So essentially, we would have to have a DSM six. Um, in order to include those type of things as trauma, because we know that trauma is really subjective. Um, you know, it's based on what the person experiences. You know, it's not something that, um, I mean, we can say what it is from an objective standpoint, but, you know, for one person, divorce is traumatic when their parents divorce. For other people, it certainly affects them, but it's not considered traumatic. Right. So then even with, and and I get it, you know, that there would have to be, you know, another version of the DSM, but is there anything that can be done to guarantee that they begin to look at this, um, you know, doing the research on it 
to make sure that it is included? I mean, is there any policies? Is there any, you know, laws? What is, do you know if, if there's any laws or things that have to be put into place in order for them to recognize this? I mean, because this is truly a part of mental health. This is what, I mean, the population is dealing with. So yeah, what do we do? Absolutely. So there are um, certain, you know, there's a few things that are going on. There are more mental health professionals of color than there ever has been. Um, and so there are certain um, scholarship and government funding that um, people who are going into the mental health profession can receive. Um, you know, so we have lots and lots of therapists and providers of color more than we've seen, um, you know, in the past 10 years. The number has certainly grown exponentially. But then also um, other providers who are not necessarily persons of color um, becoming more culturally competent. Um, and then something that I really love is now um, what's called trauma-informed care or a trauma-informed approach. And it's really um, learning to understand people and incorporating systems um, and um, policies within organizations that are sensitive to what people experience in terms of trauma. And the whole idea behind that model is to resist re-traumatizing someone. So when they come into your organization, when they come into your practice, how is it set up? Um, how are you creating a culture of safety, really, um, for these individuals so that um, they can get the help that they need, the services that they need, without being re-traumatized within your organization? Hmm. Okay. Um, We're going to so take really a break. Okay. We're going to take mm-hmm. a break right here because when we come back, I want to dive a little more into um, talking about legislature um, and lobbying, because it seems like we'll we'll, we'll get into that. Um, Let's take a break right here. This is Pressure Points Unpacked, and I'm your host, Tyra Little. Your skin isn't just skin. It's a beautiful reflection of every single thing you've been through in life. Which is why Dove Body Wash removes your skin's ceramides and strengthens it against dryness. For instantly softer, smoother skin, you can lovingly embrace. Renew the love for your skin with Dove Body Wash. And welcome back to Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little. Please feel free to call in and ask any questions to Dr. Huji or Pastor Tracy, you can call in at 914-205-5361. So before we went to break, um, Sarissa, Dr. Dr. Huji, you were talking about some of, you know, with the organizations and some of the things that are coming into play. Um, my question for you um because I know a lot of times with different laws and stuff that are being changed, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it takes people out here lobbying and, you know, making sure that things are recognized or it's being, you know, placed on on mm-hmm. on the minds of people. And I was just wondering, um, and I don't know if you, you know, I'm not saying that you're an expert in 
legislature, but, you know, just wondering since you're a part of this community, of the mental health community, I'm wondering if there is a way that if we had a certain organization that may back um, or support, okay, hey, we, we know that this is a recognized trauma here, this race-based trauma, um, you know, they get behind and start supporting to where we can get some different things put into place um, that maybe would help them, di- you know, use this as an actual diagnosis or cause you know, them to do a little um, more research. Sure. So, Tyra, there are tons and tons of, of research out there and organizations that are really advocating um, for this move. Um, for instance, I mentioned earlier the Substance Abuse and, and the Mental Health Association of America. Um, they are one of the organizations that offer um, funding for persons of color who are going into um, the mental health field. They have a, a lot of research. So I believe that we're sort of moving into that direction, especially as we talk more about, like, cultural awareness and sensitivity and being culturally competent. But I think um, it really depends on where you choose to fight the battle. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so, you know, as you being a former military person, um, it's going to take some of us who are, on provi- who are providers, who are um, in key places and welcoming people of color who have experienced, you know, this multi-layer trauma um, that's caused these kind of symptoms. And we are the people that are treating those individuals directly the therapists and the um, prescribers that are doing that. But certainly there's many more of us who are, you know, on the front line in other organizations such as research um, or primary care practices or people that work for these government agencies. So, you know, I think what you're saying is, is true that there certainly has to be, we have to be at the table, right? We can't be in hiding. Mm-hmm. So we have, there has to be some of us at the table who are able to, fight the good fight, for lack of a better term, in some of these obscure and unexpected places just kind of sprinkled throughout. Um, But I really wouldn't be surprised if we see that um, because there's more and more um, talk about racial and and cultural trauma. Um, You know, there's more and more approaches being developed and how to address that and just making sure that providers are aware um, that this is a real thing. But, you know, of course, there's still a, a large gap and a large disparity. So I'm, I'm fighting the good fight of faith, you know, by, of course, educating and partnering with organizations, but also treating patients. Um, one of the things that I remember early on when I first became a site nurse practitioner and the patients would walk in the room, everyone was surprised that I was there. My white patients or my, you know, they were surprised when they saw me, you know, as being their doctor, and then even my black patients were surprised um, Mm -hmm. as well. But me being in that office and understanding my role and being able to create that bridge um, for some people that would not normally get help, people came there oftentimes because they knew I was there and I was a person of color and they believed that I would understand. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't believe you have to be black to even try to understand, but um, you know, certainly it helps. Some people do feel more comfortable having a, a provider of color. So um, we're making progress, but, yeah, we, we got a long way to go for sure. Can I jump in right here? Please. Yeah, love it. Go ahead. From a spiritual mm-hmm. standpoint, and, and we, I understand that not everyone 
even not everyone that's listening to your show has a Christian worldview. Right. But for those of us who do, when you talk mm-hmm. about, you know, how we move things forward, mm-hmm. especially in our community, the, mm-hmm. the church is a, is a pillar of strength. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and a loud voice. Mm-hmm. Right. But I want to make this point that, that bias is, is one of Satan's biggest weapons. Mm-hmm. And, and it, until we can convince ourselves mm-hmm. that we belong, mm-hmm. and until we can convince ourselves that we are equal, mm-hmm. relatively speaking, and when I say relatively speaking, you know, uh, you know, some people might have straight hair, some people might have curly hair, you know, dark skin, like that. But relatively, in the sense that we're all human beings, that we we have been given the same divine right to be free and be treated with dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. So until we convince the powers that be. Mm-hmm. That what you want for your children, what you want for your family, is the same thing I want for my family. That until we truly are able to love our neighbors as ourselves, mm-hmm. it's not just from a provider standpoint because they treat the patient, because we encounter each other every day without a provider. Mm-hmm. Not, to, not to minimize their position because they, they're doing a great job. But I'm saying that the fight belongs to all of us. Mm. And until right. we're able to create a situation where we're not cowering down, we're not taking less because we're saying, hey, I'm just glad to be, you know, in the office. They don't have to uh, put my pamphlet together. They don't have to pull my seat up. I'll pull my own seat. No. If, if, if Jack has his pamphlet table together and ready at the conference table, and his chair is there. Don't tell me to go get a chair out of the other room. Mine should be there, too. Mm-hmm. All right. So All right. if we're not doing that, if we're not understanding, and even our, even for those of us who proclaim Christ mm-hmm. of every race, creed, and color, we have to hold each other accountable. Mm-hmm. Like, we're mm-hmm. so friends. Kiki, I appreciate you having this, this kind of platform because until we are able to speak to other each other with truth, even the hurtful truth. Right. We'll never be able to we'll never be able to overcome that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a um you know, it's a mindset shift, Kiki, too, um, really internalizing and I know I'm, you know, quote unquote the professional, but I'm also, you know, a believer in Jesus Christ, but really internalizing the mind of Christ and really accepting his, the identity that he's created us for, like who we are in him. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what um, Pastor Tracy is talking about is, is provoking, you know, because it's so true. Like if we understand whose we are and even who we are and the authority that we have and embrace that, then we would approach these things a lot differently. Um, you know, certainly we have to use wisdom, um, you know, because sometimes we have to catch flies with honey. Um, but that doesn't mean we, we cower back. That doesn't mean that we accept less than, you know, what is rightfully ours. Um, so I think what he's saying is, is, is for me, even mm-hmm. challenging and thought-provoking 
um, because when I go into some of these rooms, um, I am oftentimes one of the only people of color there. Right. Um, mm-hmm. There's the times even where I've been the only nurse practitioner there, and even sitting in those seats, I have to tell myself that I belong there. You understand? <laughs> Occupy as if I belong there um, mm-hmm. as well. So I think what he's saying, imposter syndrome is a, is a, a real thing. We won't talk about that tonight, but, um, you know, understanding who we are and the that not only do we have, um, you know, uh, not only do we earn our right in places or we're given rights based on the Constitution and alienable rights, we just celebrated July 4th, but we also have kingdom rights and, and kingdom authority and dominion wherever the Lord has called us to occupy. So I think that's, that's real good what he's saying. Um, as challenging as it is, even, I can even feel parts of me resisting what he's saying, but the reality is, I mean, it's true. It's true. And so, and and what you're saying is true, but now here's the question that I now have to pose, um, because I'm listening to you. I mean, everything you're saying is factual, but now how do we begin to get that to the community? So does that take Mm -hmm. more training? Do we, I mean, because think about it. I mean, what you're saying is if it's practice, like that was one of the responses, or, you know, if, if it's practice. So how do we practice it without training our younger people without training our, ourselves as to, um, mm-hmm. you know, how how to actually, um, and I don't I don't want to use the word of cower down because I don't think that that's what it is, but um, I don't know maybe some form of more self awareness, but for people who don't have that that self-awareness and understand that, no, I belong at this table. You can't run me away from here. I earned the right here. I earned the seat here just like you did. So, I mean, you, you deal with the youth. So do you think that this is something more that we need to have these settings to where we are teaching our youth how, just like as a child, I was taught, you look a person in the eye when you talk to them. That was training. Right. I heard that all my life. And so because of that, when I'm talking to someone, I'm definitely going to look you in the eye. I'm not going to look down. You know what I'm saying? So it sounds like we, we need to try to put some more things in place that begin to um, to teach people. We, uh, you know, teach our children as we bring them up how, you know, about interacting. Okay. Is that, is that question directed at myself or a general question or, or to Dr. Hiji? Well, it's, it's both of you, but I'm, I'm going to direct it to you. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad because <laughs> I was just trying to figure out, you know, how, how to, how to uh, respond. But from a spiritual perspective, my only perspective, as best as I can, mm-hmm. comes from Scripture. Mm-hmm. So okay. rather than us teaching and preaching prosperity and money and all this stuff, and then we still go out here living defeated lives. The scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Mm-hmm. So bias, bias is, or non-bias is a, is a, a display of freedom. Mm-hmm. Because if you're biased, you're bound in some areas. Wherever the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So if you are showing bias, that means that you're bound in some areas. Mm. And so teaching a proper perspective of the word of God liberates us. 
Let me, let me just give you a few examples. Mm-hmm. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 23. It is wrong to show favoritism when passing judgment. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. And listen to this. This is something that we've heard, but we have not connected it to uh, racial trauma. Listen to this. For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Oh. <laughs> it's all in the scriptures. <laughs> First Timothy, and this is the last one, First Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, of his chosen angels, to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. So until we can convince those who are in power, until we are rightfully dividing the word truth over the pulpit and in our home, this kind of stuff will remain. But the training and, and part of MindSpace, the company, the consulting company that Dr. Hughie, uh runs, that's part of their objective is to go into faith-based organizations and say, how do we address this from a proper spiritual perspective? Hmm. How, what kind of training do we need? What kind of training do you need in this organization that we can rightly divide the word of truth so we can understand that trauma is real, that we can understand that mental health is something that you should pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you for that plug. That's <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very, right. very thoughtful. Right. That's good. Right. And, and look, and, you, and you're going to have that opportunity to give that plug again. But now, being that Pastor Tracy just brought that up about that, this is what your organization do. So does it have to be an actual church organization that, um, that may call you out to say to, you know, just to explain to a group of people about race-based trauma, about the different traumas, or is it just you, your organization, you, you will go out to anyone that may call that needs your help? Mm-hmm. Yeah, any, any community organization. Um, and the reason why I started MindSpace is because um, in working with the patients, I, I definitely saw one level of change, but then they would leave my office and um, the systems that they interacted with would either help to facilitate or sabotage their mental health. And when we talk about systems, it could be a micro system such as like their family or their close-knit community, but it could also be their church or faith-based organization, could be their school, um, could be community organizations, their, their employer, so their experiences within those organizations could either help if there's a culture of safety, help heal them, um, or could certainly sabotage or, or derail the progress that we made in the office. So 
I definitely wanted to partner with those organizations. So I've worked with healthcare organizations, other um, DEI consulting firms. I've worked with faith-based organizations as well. Um, I've done a good bit of work this year, especially with the pandemic um, in the school system. So, um, you know, working with teachers and students. So um, certainly any um, community organization. Um, we also have a, a women's group. The women's group that you that called you to. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I've worked with a, um, a faith-based um, women's organization. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you. Um, so a number of organizations that I've worked with, government agencies, um, we'd be happy to help. Um, and typically what we do um, is they, they choose a topic and then we kind of tailor the content to meet the needs of that organization. We may offer um, workshops um, and things of that nature, support groups. Um, it's been awesome to see, you know, what God has done and the growth that has occurred even since last year. So I hope that answers your question, Tyra. Thank you for that opportunity to share that too. Yeah, well, what it does, I mean, and, and the next question I was going to ask, I mean, you basically, you know, have answered it because, you know, it was going to be, you know, what can we do to make the community aware or take this particular diagnosis serious? I mean, we have got to find a way to help assist the mental health professionals in getting mm -hmm. this recognized and making sure that this is put in the next revision of the DSM. And so, um, you know, I can't fight every fight, but as we have listeners out here who have different skill sets, we have got to start. I mean, if you start some type of a movement, those of you who are listening who um, you may deal with mental health that can help make this happen, we have to. You know, we have to make it happen. I mean, even the, the mere fact of making people aware, I mean, I was blown away. I didn't know that there was a minority mental health awareness month. Mm -hmm. And oh, I can yeah. only imagine. I mean, how, do you know how long that has been into been in place, um, Dr. Huji? Yeah, I'm not sure, but you know, my life is consumed with all things mental health, so I've I'm always looking for, um, you know, opportunities to provide education, and you know, the mission of MindSpace is to help um, bridge the gap and and mental health disparities, and you know, and mm -hmm. quite frankly. A lot of those mental health disparities exist in communities of color. I mean, you know, that's just the bottom line. That's where the economic disparity is. And, um, you know, oftentimes trauma really in communities of color is such a, it's so normalized. Um, you know, I, I even think back on certain things that have happened in my childhood that, like, I'm just now realizing that or even thinking about it in terms of it being traumatic. Um, you know, certain things, if you think about children who grow up in communities where there's a lot of gun violence, then it's nothing for them to see a dead body in the street right. or hear a gunshot. Um, right. But that's traumatic, you know, to grow up, especially as children where your brain is developing, and I don't, I don't want to get too scientific and neurologic, but if you, right. if you don't have safety, um, you know, then how can you learn to trust the world if the very environment that your brain is being developed in is unstable and unsafe. Um, so right. it has far more implications than, you know, just even what we're talking about. This is a very surface level conversation. We haven't gotten into biology and epigenetics and brain development and all of this, those things. We're just talking about like this is a problem. 
Um, right. But if we understood how significant, um, and, you know, when we think about 90% of the people that enter into mental health settings have experienced some type of trauma, even if they don't have PTSD, 90%, that's 9 out of 10 patients that I see have experienced some type of trauma, and that is the reason oftentimes that they're in the behavioral health setting. So right. trauma, 70% of adults have experienced some type of trauma. So, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's huge. Um, it looks know, like we have a, can't even have a mental health conversation without talking about trauma. Right. We're, real quick, let me check. It looks like we have a caller. Let me let me check here. Caller, last four digits, 6610. 6610. Do you have a question or a comment? Just a comment. Good afternoon. Can you guys Hi. hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Your name? Camelia. Okay. Hi, Camelia. Um, hi. And I'm just com- I, I just caught the last piece where Dr. Huji was getting into an area that, well, a couple areas that I think are really significant that I look forward to hearing over this series is the epigenetics and then the ongoing trauma that um, children and people in particular experience on an ongoing basis and that concept of PTSD being post-traumatic stress as if you've had an opportunity to leave that stress when you live in it every day, mm. gunshots, bodies. The DSM, I heard you ask her um, what's being done in terms of legislation and things like that to, to now start to acknowledge rich, racial-based trauma, um, but even the concept of Ongoing traumatic experiences is something that in ideally the DSM is beginning to take more serious. That is understanding that post-traumatic was a great term in the beginning when, when the soldiers were coming back and people experienced these things at some point and then it stopped, but that we have to now acknowledge those kids and those people who live in environments where it's never post, it's ongoing traumatic experiences. Um, and then that other piece of racial trauma, and this kind of plays into some of what Dr. Huge, not excuse me, what Pastor Tracy was saying, in my opinion, is that the racial piece of trauma, there's this, when, when she gets into epigenetics, I guess we'll get to hear more of it, but this idea that it's intergenerational and that we bring so much of the trauma and even the lessons that were learned from our ancestors that are a part of our DNA. And some of them may even been taught, like you said, that you were taught to be empowered to look into the eyes of people you're speaking to. But coming from the rural South, I had a mother who grew up in parts of Jim Crow who at some point said, don't look that white man in the eye. Right? So if yep. that is something that I carried with me, there'd be this um, inferior identity that would um, plague my interactions. Later, I was yeah. empowered as well as she to feel more confident in those spaces. And so right. as an educator and as a clinician, it's important for me to rejuvenate that spirit of excellence and remind our, I always call them my students, but even my clients of how great we are. And so right. that helps impact our interactions. So right. mm-hmm. thanks for letting me share tonight. But I thank um, you for calling in. I appreciate it. And um, I look forward to hearing, hearing from you more. You know, I, I thank you for no calling problem. in. Definitely. Yeah, no problem. Have a good night. <laughs> you, you as well. Yeah, yeah. So she alluded to, um, you know, kind of where the conversation is going. I know we're, we only have 10 minutes left tonight. Right. Um, and so I, I never – 
even in my opportunities to share time with organizations, I never end on a negative note because it's not, all hope is not lost as um, disheartening, you know, as the conversation sometimes is and as complex and multifaceted as the solutions have to be because that's the nature of the problem. It seems like everywhere we turn, there is some layer of injustice kind of seeping in somewhere sometimes that we don't even recognize or, you know, have awareness of. Um, so what she talked about in terms of resilience and post-traumatic growth and, um, you know, the greatness that is in our people, we're, I'm excited that we're going to, that's where our conversation is heading. Um, Definitely. I was going to actually say, um, Pastor Tracy, because we are running out of time, but I was going to ask you if you had any last-minute words of wisdom that you wanted to drop on us and tell us where we can reach you, um, because we, we are definitely running out of time. Yeah, okay. So the last thing I wanted to say is that desensitization is the enemy of awareness. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And so once we continue to just look at this problem mm-hmm. without recognizing that it's going to, as uh, Ms. Camilla said, be generational, mm-hmm. and we have mm-hmm. to somehow break the cycle, right. that we have to first recognize that this is, in fact, trauma. Mm-hmm. This right. is a traumatic experience that I go in the store I have to make sure I keep my hands in my pocket. That if somebody is going into the store and maybe they're just genuinely just locking their car, you hear, you know, and maybe they didn't hear it and they did it again. But as a black person, you're walking into the store and you're thinking, oh, you're making sure your car is locked because you see me out here. Mm -hmm. Like until we recognize that this is really trauma. Right. And mm-hmm. that we address it from that standpoint, mm-hmm. then there, it would be hard for us to convince any other uh, people, you know, even through legislation, that, that, that this is a problem right. for us yeah. as a group. Right. And what you just said is very valid because it goes right back to there was another segment that we had early on where I talked about the, it seems like there's a taboo over counseling and going to see somebody in the African-American community. Um I don't yeah. know exactly where where that where that came from, but you're absolutely right. We I mean, we have to recognize it. You know, we have to recognize these things as trauma and begin to want to help ourselves as well as help others. Mm-hmm. So um yeah. man, this has been awesome. The hour does go by fast. Um Right, right, right. Yeah. But yeah. hey, we we have so much more to give for the month of July. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely want the listeners to engage with me on social media. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, we're on all of the other different um, podcasting platforms. So if you think of anything during the week, and if you want to reach out to um, Dr. Hughie or Pastor Tracy, you can also go back to those pages and you can, you know, you can see where, hey, you make a tag them or interact with them that way as well. So this is Pressure Points Unpacked. I'm your host, Tyra Little, and please tune in next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Thank you. 
It's already done. 